Hello everyone, Marcus here, about to listen to episode number 8. There are some audio issues in regards to this episode. We had some uh, problems with getting to the line, Shelly, myself, and uh, Vontana. Uh, The audio issues are not too bad, but I really wanted to make sure that everyone was aware. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It is exactly everything that we wanted the podcast to be when we started, and I think that it uh, exceeds expectations. So uh, without further ado, this is Black Girl Ventures founder, Google Digital Coach, uh, storyteller extraordinaire, and general all-around superstar, Shelley Bell. Hello? All right, cool. This, this works. So let me, I'm going to call Shelley real fast, and then we'll get back into this. Got it. You're the best. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye. Hey you. So yeah, so looks like our engineer didn't make it to uh, the studio either. So I am going to record this with this lovely call recording app out on my phone and then balance the sound and get it out. So I think this works. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. I'm going to connect you with uh, Vontana, my co-host, and we'll talk and then do the show. Does that work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, hold on. Hello, everyone. Domina Vontana, this is Shelly Bell, Shelly Bell, Domina Vontana. You two are two of my favorite people Hello. in the world. Hi. Hi, Shelly. It's a pleasure to meet you, even if it's over the yeah, we have to do this in real life at some point. Um, this this that, that, definitely has to happen in real life because you two have to know each other. So, um, yeah, I. Oh, stop! No such thing. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, yeah, like uh, I'm gonna sit down here and pop this open. I have some notes and stuff, and I guess we'll we'll make this happen. Um, let's see. I'm gonna do a. I'm gonna do our intro, and then just kick it into the show, just like we're on the air, and then we'll uh, we'll get to talking. Okay. Cool. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of MND FCK, the podcast, a broadcast. Uh, we are not at the Line Hotel in uh, lovely, beautiful Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Uh, the it's uh, the weather's a little crazy outside right now, so. Uh, we're currently all uh, split around, and I uh, definitely wanted to introduce everyone, or have everyone introduce themselves, for this very special edition. Shelly, would you like to go first? I already know me. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm Shelly Bell, the founder of Black Girl Adventures. Um, I'm also, we work to create access the capital for black and brown women entrepreneurs. One of the ways we do that is if you need pitch competition, that crowd member is pitching where the audience gets to vote and donate to the, the people that they want to win. Um, I also am a Google Digital Coach for DC, which is a Google Digital Coach in general. And I work to help small minority businesses understand how to use Google Digital Tools 
Um, I am a speaker. I do intuitive business coaching. And, yeah, I like long walks at the beach. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah, and yeah, you go right. I'm a real newbie broadcaster, guys. So if I'm interrupting or talking over, just understand that I'm coming to you from the closet tonight. Marcus has managed to get me back in the closet for this recording. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my name's Tamina Vontana. I'm a university lecturer and a sex worker. I'm a professional dominatrix, and um, I've been at that for over a decade now. Marcus is a big fan of the industry and a great ally, and that's how we came together. And this has been such an adventure for me so far, including today when I got on the plane at 6 o'clock in the morning to make sure that I could be back in D.C. to record in my closet. So um, I'm looking forward to this because I feel like I'm going to learn a lot today, and education is one of my passions. Um, it's the best medicine along with music and laughter. So let's get to it. Right, and my, I myself, I'm uh, Marcus K. Dowling. I am a... Uh world uh i'm a world published uh soon to be author also a journalist i'm a uh, podcaster broadcaster and also i am a believer in the idea that by 2024 we will have an african-american female president of the united states lord willing and creek don't rise <laughs> i love that so, so shelly if i said that to you what would you say about that that notion that by 2024, the president will be a black African-American female. I mean, well, this is not, you know, 1950s. It's not, you know, this is not, like, this is not even, you know, 2003. You know, like, you know like, this is not even, well, let's see, go back further than that, I'm sorry. This is not, like, 1995, where, like, we didn't, know, we didn't think anything was possible other than white and male, um, and we didn't think anything was possible outside of a lawyer or somebody with legal experience, and there we didn't you. think, you know, a reality TV show entrepreneurs were an option. So, I mean, at this point, you know, and, and that is not to that the, the capability of a black woman to be president in her own, like, just beauty and intelligence and magnificent at all. It is just to say that at this point, I'd be crazy to not think that anything can happen. Um, yeah, that's yeah. the point. Yep, yeah. she nailed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think like it doesn't bring as much emotion as it would have brought again if this was 1995 or you know or or something where you know before Obama took office. I think like this it wouldn't. I would be, even when Obama took office, I probably would have been more surprised or more, I would have had more of a reaction to it. Um, but I still don't. I mean, I think that after, I mean, I don't. After, after Trump being elected, I think that it really turned things into more of a game. And it really turned things into a popularity contest. And where I feel like I love that on one end, I don't love it for our presidential politics. But I love the idea that we get to tie things and, you know, that the norm uh, doesn't have to always be the norm, you know. And I think that's why people, you know, go to brand, not to jump down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but it's definitely a rabbit hole. But a, a, a shithole. I think um, 
ultimately, an outhouse. You know what I mean? But I'm yeah. just saying that ultimately it doesn't bring the same emotion. It's something that I would love to see, yes. I don't feel as defeated by by the thought as I would have before. Let me say that. Right. So, yeah. So I wanted to also talk about something in your past that always intrigues me. And I think it's something that both of you share in common. Um, Here we go. I, you know, I just do stuff. Um, Shelly, you're, you're an English teacher. You taught, you taught, you, you, you taught Angel Hayden's English in like the 11th grade or something, right? No, sir. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I know that you, but you, you were a educator, right? You definitely taught. Yes. So, and my co-host, she's also a teacher. Uh, a quick confession. Yes. A quick confession. Um, I kept this to myself while I was in Asia. But, yeah, believe it or not, this sex worker who has a degree in English and a lot of teaching experience went over to Asia and taught English for a year. So I just came out of that whole Japanese-style six-day-a-week grind you know, just every Asian student, nothing but kids and screaming, and they don't speak my language. So what I'm saying, if anyone might doubt my, my, it's fresh, it's fresh. I feel you. Right. I'm there. So I wanted to speak to the notion of educating people and making people aware and kind of like breaking things down and giving people access to information, because I feel like that's like one of the most important things in this era, especially just teaching people how to think constructively and how to think differently in a way that's not, you know, like that doesn't completely tear down the system. So uh, both of you being teachers and both of you being educators, I definitely wanted to get you two speaking back and forth in regards to that. Mm, okay. So information, you mean actual facts? <laughs> like, are we going to check yes, sources? And, yeah. Or just because I was going to say, Honestly, education has turned into beliefs and yep. belief systems outside of it being actual information. I feel like, you know, you know, the great part about the internet, or one of the great things is that we began to discover lots of answers or, lot, or discover lots of truths that we weren't taught in school. I think as an entrepreneur, I see it uh, very clearly when I work with other entrepreneurs and the fact that we don't understand investment education. So you spend all this time learning about math, and you never learn about investment, you never learn deeply about taxes, you never learn, um, there were, there's ways that, that money is sliced when it comes to like stock options and things like that, that we, we weren't taught that like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction is actually a payment that you can give, and as long as somebody sells millions of them, could actually live a decent life. Like, we were not taught levels of math in that way. I think language, from an English perspective, um, is being pushed into an evolution that everybody is being forced to, to now appreciate, which means, like, we can, um, so, so much correction can happen with it. Which is interesting, because with numbers, it can't normally, it can't necessarily do that. So, like, because if I meant, if it's one plus one, I meant to put one plus two to a computer, one plus one is still valid because computers are not necessarily as intuitive as people want. But if I put an optical E in a place where it may not be, like, those are very clear math rules that can be set up to correct that. So I feel like what we're seeing in, in, in the, 
the the corporate world and even some parts of the business world are 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 evolving so far away from where education is evolving. Like when I have um I've had interns and adults even that I've had to train on just simple things like you no longer communicate very formally through an email. Even in, even in the corporate world now, things are a mix of formal and informal. Like, it's very rare that you would say things like to whom it may concern in an email. Because you know it, it may concern because you're emailing directly. Like, so it, it, it's just things are, are moving fast, I feel, in the outside world and not moving fast in the education world. And it's always been that way. But now it just feels like lightning speed outside of education. And education still walking. Almost like mm-hmm. the first in the air kind of situation. Except in this case, the going slower is not the winner. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd love to jump in right here because I think that's a, a natural segue into online education or hybrid programs, which is something I'm incredibly passionate about. And one of the reasons I'm passionate about that is I was born and raised in the rural area. So um, that leads to the next question, which is infrastructure. So mm. there's actually been and re- there's actually been a great deal of research on taking a concept like a shared workspace, for example, WeWork, and scaling that down and making it appropriate and sustainable for rural areas. Um, I have a place out in Berkeley Springs, about 90 minutes from DC, and it is just full of residents who retired some as many as 30 years ago from the D.C. area, so these are highly educated folks that had some sort of career, and now there's this whole global movement of being a digital nomad. I saw a lot of that when I was rolling through Southeast Asia, and it's fantastic. The freedom, the opportunity, the collaboration possibilities, but they can't get that as little as 90 minutes from D.C. When I started my program at GW in LGBT health um, and policy, it was a hybrid program, which is one of the reasons I was excited about it, because I could stay in Berkeley Springs and still get this great education. So I went down to my local library, I love a library, and I walk in and there's no Wi-Fi. This was five years ago. So I wrote letters and we got the Wi-Fi and it still didn't work. So if we can improve infrastructure, we would improve education opportunities because, as Kelly mentioned, this technology thing is not slowing down. And I believe focusing on online education is one way to bridge that gap between the tortoise and the hare, so to speak. Um, but that's going to require a lot of infrastructure for rural areas. And as we know, economically, they're really suffering and they're looking for some sort of option, not just for the elite educators that, you know, have uh, summer homes in Berkeley Springs, but the folks in the Kentucky Hills, folks out in the Wyoming desert. So um, I think that once that occurs, there will be more access to information. There's a project out there right now to take every, you know, research paper ever ever published and put it on a globally acceptable uh, uh, site. Um, But in the meantime, uh, academia has a lot of the same issues that government has. As I mentioned, they move very slowly. And people don't always have an appreciation or an understanding of the process. And just like government, certain results can be bought at the right price. Done. I'm out. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. But, yeah, as far as that's concerned, I love this notion of, like, the third best way where there's, like, the analog and the digital and the thing that exists between the two. And... 
that's what fascinates me about this whole concept of education and like figuring out like what because I feel like in between those two also is the concept of like fact and truth because that now gets to evolve because you don't have like you know these like right and wrongs anymore there's something right definitely in between and figuring out exactly what that is supposed to be I think is a a real push point um I wanted to speak also to you Shelly as well could you do these amazing pitch competitions for um BGV for Black Girl um ventures and i was intrigued by the idea of you doing them in different areas and how you're noticing if if this is even a thing about how people are advancing their creativity as far as like being entrepreneurs and activating the digital space versus having very brick and mortar style businesses and things like that In the in the in, in both I believe like because uh, I know that you're doing Shelley Fry if if you know right, correct me if I'm wrong you're doing them in different areas now you're doing them in, like at least seven different areas in 2019 yeah. right yeah we have we do them in different cities we're industry agnostic so we see everything as far as oh my goes. god I love that term awful oh that's great as a as an as Somebody who identifies as agnostic, that's got to be the best use of that I've ever heard. Thank you, Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We do different cities. Um, but you said something that I wanted to comment on. You said uh, that the... the, 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 the yeah, there's the, there's, there's the analog and the digital and the thing in between. But you know what? The thing in between is story. So, like, what I've been lately is that, like, there's your story my story and then there's the story of in general like like that's all that really is when you break it down like i'm sorry i think of that the way i've been phrasing it is it's your side my side of the story and honestly from an entrepreneur's perspective whoever's story is the most appealing or sounds best is the one that's going to push out as the truth and i think that we've been neglecting story for too long you know the reason why the, the the textbooks are curved the way they're curved is because of the story. Somebody's trying to tell a certain kind of narrative to our children as people grow up for people to believe so they go in a certain direction. You know, that can be said about a few different books. But, um, you know, all the things we've heard about how research happens and things right now is that even though there's facts, it's how the narrative is built around. So I think that if we were concentrating on story, you know, because the thing is, like, at some point in my life, I'm like, because I'm one of those people that's always trying to break things down, and I'm, and then, like, I just was like, well, what is the truth? You know, like, and so, like, I had a group of friends that I would say that, and so, like, we would just be talking about different things, and we always result in being, looking at each other and being like, yeah, but what is true, though? Because um, there's a lot of this, like, what we've been trying to believe. But, but, okay, so, speaking of that, that goes right into what you just asked me about going to different areas. Different cities, different areas, different experiences. We have been trained to believe certain narratives about ourselves, about our capabilities. And what I, what I find is that we all have a collective money experience. So I was speaking in Bermuda and I talked about the money experience and how, like, you know, how these different experiences that I had one where you're hearing it, where you're like, oh, I want some McDonald's and, or something. You want something. I'm just going to use McDonald's. And your parents is like, you got some McDonald's money? And then, like, in that moment, 
you didn't even know that McDonald's needed money. It's yep. like, what? Like, McDonald's and money go together? Are these the two things that are coupled and I need money if I want McDonald's? Okay. You know, then you go on to learn about bills. Okay, bills? Like, oh, so money's for bills. Okay. Then you go on and learn about, you know, as an adult, whatever you need to do to live. It's like, oh, so money is required to live. And my dad, my dad, like, every time I get in trouble, he would go to his store and pull out his high school diploma and be like, look, I got my high school diploma. You need to get yours. And Aww. I was like, oh, like, if I want to make money, I need to be smarter. Um, then as an adult, I was, uh, ended up, like, getting government assistance and then being shamed because I needed help with money. And then I'm like, oh, if I need money, then I'm going to be shamed. So I was saying, like, what I see throughout our travel is that there's a common experience of, of money and not understanding what to do with it, being afraid of it, being um, not open about having the conversations. I think that there are some areas where people are more ready and there's some areas where, or some cities where people are more ready and there's some cities where you think they would be more ready. For example, Chicago. Chicago has a very interesting history around race and segregation. So, but, but that's not something I was thinking of. You know, I'm thinking, of course, women are up everywhere. And so we go to Chicago and the level of need was just completely different than when we were in, like, in Atlanta. Like, we in Atlanta, and, like, going to Atlanta is just one of those cities, cities that you have to do. There's so many resources in Atlanta. And so I'm thinking, well, it's Chicago. Like, of course it's going to have lots of resources, but not really. I mean, if they are, they're viewed as being for someone else. Um, you know, New York, there's lots of things always happening in New York. So even when I was in a journalist to now, you just notice that New York is pretty ready. Like, the founders there were ready. When I was doing um, journalism, I was covering the DJ, the Red Bull, um, DJ, freestyle competition. You know, I noticed that those DJs were more ready than the DJs in Philly. They were more ready than the DJs in DC. I feel like New York has so many things that people tend to be more ready for whatever it is they have decided to participate in. Um, when you say ready, Shelly, do you just mean like more polished? What does it polished? Yes, I mean polished, okay. prepared, okay. Um, professional. Prof- yeah. Prof- yeah. Yeah. professional. Yeah, they're they're tighter. They're uh, they've done they. It's it's highly competitive. Is what I'm saying. That's true. Yeah, highly honestly, that's, honestly, that's why I elected 15 years ago to stay in DC and not go to New York. <laughs> yeah. If right? You're not ready to competitive like that, but yeah, it's highly competitive. Right? You know, wow. even, even like overly so. Yeah. So, so full disclosure, I do a lot of work with you, Shelley. Um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Why? It has a great BDSM team. Just say. No, Albuquerque, Albuquerque is a crazy city. So that's why I brought up Albuquerque because we, because Vontana, you and I had talked about Albuquerque in a separate conversation. And then when I started looking at stuff for BGV, Shelly, I saw Albuquerque pop up again. And I'm like, 
is it really that popping in Albuquerque? Like, what's going on out there? Like, what's happening? Because I know there are a lot of fringe, quote-unquote, cities in America that are, like, very socially progressive or very technologically aware for various reasons, like, you know, the way populations move or whatever. But what is it about, like, a place like Albuquerque? Because I feel like as America shifts, there are a lot of these cities that are going to, like, pop up in the consciousness and people are going to be, like, completely surprised. Oh yeah, don't sleep on Albuquerque. Well, number one, Netflix is moving its uh, studios there. Oh so shit! So because of that, I feel like a lot of people starting to look at it for real estate, um, and just they have a really great art scene, a lot of great artists there. And then there's these uh, Native American and uh, there's, there's a, a, a population there to be served. Um, mm. And I think that for you know being in a place like DC. We're, we're buffled in a lot of ways. You know, like, I think that I go into these other cities, and I'm a, it's like, oh, my God, you come back. And I live here, and I'm doing work here all the time. And, you know, we don't even get some of the large coverage or, you know, some of the some of the people that will be jumping at us or, you know, he's backing from certain agencies and stuff like that. Stuff like that. that doesn't happen here. But I, go, I can go into other cities and be a rock star. So it's like... I want to do work here because this is where my heart is and this is where I live. But I also am looking at, like, well, where are the cities that really need us? You know, I mean, there's lots of people pouring into the large cities. And it's tough. We're not the only ones thinking this way. You've got a couple other, like, we have, like, Rise of the Rest, um, you know, Revolution to Seed Cases, uh, Investment Arm. They do uh, rural cities uh, in, like, middle of America type cities. There's other cities we're looking at, too. Like, somebody reached out to me from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, a woman reached out to me about coming there. Um, St. Louis, New Orleans, Memphis. Um, we also got places like Salt Lake City, like Utah, where has a high population of people of black people. Um, but again, like, the powers that be in some of these places are not people of color and don't get it good. And since we're so mobile... And we can kind of pop up wherever we, wherever we want and be capital for, for people. It, it makes sense for us to be looking at the places where community is ready to act and activate them um, around entrepreneurship. But you know what? Okay, so I think this, I don't want to interrupt this conversation, but like, I think it's so great. I no, you know. are the conversation. I don't want to talk about BDSM. Oh, God! Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, so I knew this was I knew this was going to happen. Like I was I was excited this was going to happen. Okay, that's the thing. Here's the thing though. Give it to me. Let me have it. Let's do it. Here's the part of the conversation that I don't know if you was ready for that I was about to bring to But the conversation okay, so this R. Kelly thing, right? Yes. Yeah. The conversation that I have keep trying to say to people, even online, even through Twitter, that people do not understand is that he is abusing and crossing the line of something that is very okay to do among consistent adults. And God has blessed you. God has blessed you. Mark it. I, I'm here, and I know. Y'all get it. It's like, I keep trying to tell people, like, y'all why y'all can't catch quote unquote catch him is because you're trying to catch him around the wrong thing. So you're, you're, you're hearing them say, like, oh, people, you know, ask for permission for things. Oh, people, you know, in bondage or people. 
I'm just like, y'all are tripping because you haven't had, you're not aware of the levels of sexual play that are right. available, which, which he's engaging in in a, an abusive way. So yeah. the reason why you're not catching them is because, like, these things are, are completely okay among decision adults. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I would not even be surprised if he has a school people who are doing it with him because it's very underground. But, that, but I feel like nobody's fearing you because black people don't understand BDS. Like, not, I'm not going to say all black people. I'm going to say on a massive level, this is not entered into a, a person of color, their life, on a regular basis yet. And they have not explored sex in this way. So to them, it's crazy. And to me, I'm like, yeah, like, this is, this makes perfect sense. That's wow. Everything, everything he's saying makes perfect sense. Every way he's laying it out makes perfect sense. Except these women of color, these girls, don't know about BDSM. The black population in general does not understand, in my opinion, BDSM. But there is a very underground white population a lot of white men as well who firmly understand this and so it looks like he's being protected but really it's not I don't know that it's like protection 100% like I think that like some of it is just there's a way of life that people of color don't understand and he's abusing it and so it's coming out in like in this way but like we're not having that conversation so I want, I'm so glad I wanted I didn't want to no, you, this is the whole point. Like, this is one of those things where I knew this was going, I knew this was going to happen. And I'm like, glad that it's happening. Cause I'm like, okay, I figured this was going to happen at some point in this conversation. Because like, I, like, for people who've never listened to this podcast, Shelly's one of the smartest people I know in just in general about most things. She's, you're just a hip and aware person. That's why we get along. Cause you're hip and aware and you know what's going on. Same thing with my co-host. She's hip and aware and knows what's going on. So, like, if you put the three of us in a room, th- these topics are going to come up. All right. Yeah. I'll take the talking feather, okay? Right. Of course. Of course. Um, one of the things we try and do here on Mindfuck is have a next-level conversation. For example, when the executive director, Cindy, from HIP, helping individual prosecutors to buy came in, we didn't talk about Sasha and Sasha. We expected our audience to show up knowing that. So rewind several weeks to when the stock dropped, and I get a frantic, not frantic, but like a very meaningful phone call from Marcus, and he says, I'm going live, I have to talk about this, and I need you to go live immediately after I go live. And I'm like, hey, what are we talking about? <laughs> what? So like, when I hopped on my portion, what I spoke to was what you just talked about. Not necessarily from the race portion of it, but like this is healthy BDSM versus mm-hmm. non-healthy BDSM. Mm-hmm. And I did say in the podcast that the reason I I wanted to come on was not only to support Marcus in his moment of, of what he was going through, but because I am aware that there might be a woman of color out there who desires these things. And if she gets them or wants to seek them out and shares this with a friend, she could be shamed, right? And so... The, the solution that's happening in D.C. right now, there's two of them. Uh, there's the whole hive that does case, case touch field, yeah, uh-huh. and, and then there's a band to black, right? 
Both these events happen at the, the D.C. Private Members Club called The Crucible, which is a dungeon-themed space, but they have mm-hmm. every type of adult lifestyle party imaginable. Yeah. And I finally, I got out to the Ho Hive in December for their Christmas party, and oh, I have to tell you, I am almost as in love with the POC BDSM scene as I am with Afrofuturism. Because there are these intersections <laughs> That are, and none of that's my thing, but I will be a fan, right? Because it's, uh, there's a new energy emerging, and I'm so grateful to see it. Because the whole hive in particular had Madam Seduction, and along with all the stage performers who are all professional, the whole production, down to the MC, it's amazing. But Madam Seduction did these education spots, uh, edutainment kind of. And she just played. She was spot on. So the good news is a, a, a start on a solution, which is education and awareness, is already happening in D.C. And um, I I got another confession. This is just that episode. There was a, okay, there was a moment where I was watching that doc where they got into him controlling when the girls used the bathroom and, like, how much permission they had to ask for everything. And I found myself inside my head saying, God damn, like almost dominant to dominant, just admiring that level of protocol, that level of training. And that's when I knew what you knew, Shelly, which is that this man knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. Because he is taking the DS, the dominance and sedition playbook, and he is applying it, as you said, in a community that is ignorant or unwilling. And he is applying it in an age where we are barely beginning to discuss consent, especially with men. And these women were young. They were ignorant and young and vulnerable. And he took advantage, which is the, 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 the shadow side of BDSM and dominance. People think BDSM is the shadow. No, it's not. But there is a shadow and a light to everything. And BDSM has that too. And in my practice, my, my desire, my intent is to empower, to build up, as my mother taught me as a child, to leave things better than I found them. And sometimes that does require you to tear something down first. Because we all know that the tarot deck has the tower card, okay? But this man, he did exactly what he said he did. And just because he put his stain on it, doesn't mean that there aren't other people and other people of color and other kinksters who do this and they do it right. And when they do it right, the level of magic and intimacy that that brings to your life, in my opinion, there is no comparison. So on top of all the just straight up fucking abuse that this man did, he set an example that might prevent or deter or cause people to stray off this path. And their, and their whole meeting is on that path. He fucked it up for everybody. And mm-hmm. as a sex worker and as a teamster, I just been, I get that exhaustion from educating other people, and I know you guys know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I just get so tired some days. And so yeah. here we are. Here we are. But we got Vanta Black, and we got the whole hive, and we got the Crucible, and we've got PLC groups on FetLife. So you can mm-hmm. find your people. It's the, the possibility still exists, even if he did all of that bullshit. It's, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I, I just want to jump in real fast. Um, cause I feel like as an African American man, I have an opinion on this. Cause it's a, it's a black man who's doing this stuff. 
Um, I feel like the hardest thing for black men and for black people in general to like wrap their brain around with the R. Kelly concept is that the same person who's saying, I believe I could fly is also deeply influenced by BDSM and by dominance and submission culture. Like deeply, like it's like. Yes, specifically. Dominic right. He is. Where you tell. Yeah. Deeply influenced by this. And he's the same guy who, because when you're doing one thing in the dark, you have to sing I Believe I Can Fly. You have to sing The World's Greatest. You have to sing Step in the Name of Love. You have to. Because what you're doing behind the door, you know that the second that the door opens, you have no legs to stand on. And. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Okay. I think that I think that he's a narcissist, and I think that Amen. he just. I, I think I, I don't think that the two are related at all for him, and neither is it for me. I think what people are making that these draw like I've been to parties that you know I I am not practicing BDSM right, but uh, but I am I have been in the life, so I know what's happening, and like these are judges lawyers, doctors, like, these are, these are also not, like, uh, the, I don't know what people are, what people have made up in their heads about who the people are that are practicing this, this lifestyle. A lot of times, well, from my experience, it is, it has been very prestigious people who, who are just kids. I mean, that's it. Like, there's no draw, there's no... You know, I think we're making too much of it, in my opinion, outside of the fact that he's messing with minors, he's messing with people's heads, he's manipulating in a way that hurts people unfairly. Like, that part is just like, that's where I'm like, you know, you're hurting people and you're saying, I believe I can fly, we're going to draw two things together. But this lifestyle and him being whoever he wants to be, that is not related and I do not want you know, I've been very, like, open about pushing back against that idea that, like, people are, t- are drawing that together. I'm like, no. Like, your doctor is also BDSM. Like, get out of here with that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so I just, I got to talk about the book, Herb, again. All right, Marcus? Yeah, of course, of course. It's not a textbook, but it is written by a professor who uh, teaches in New Zealand now. Um, he also wrote a book called Why Is the Penis Shaped That Way? Jesse Baring. I might have the last name wrong, but... You have it right. You have it right. Thank you, love. I don't have it in front of me, and I'm halfway through this glass of wine, and I've been traveling all day. So, um... It's Thank you, wine. Full disclosure. I love it. <laughs> so, um, this is, was a New York Times editor's pick. Uh, and um, it's called Curb the Devia in All of Us. And everything you just said about how we're making too big of a deal about the, the choices, it's about how they were applied that really matters, that's the whole point of this book. And we have student after student that comes up to us and says that this book changed their life. And I will acknowledge that when I read it for the first time, when we get into the concepts of conscious and do no harm mm-hmm. and how that means very different things in different communities mm-hmm. and cultures around the world, I was challenged. I was pushed. There were times when I was reading about examples in South America, let's say, and I'll show you the details because you got other things, but I had to spend part of my belief and just approach things as neutrally and theoretically as possible, but the bottom line is the book that changes the lives of 
the book that does the most life-changing in my class, it was picked by the New York Times editor, that's the whole point to these hundreds of pages, is everything you just said. We are all sexual deviants, or to say we, that's because we only define sex as penis and vagina, vanilla sex. And that is probably, outside of the intent to procreate, the least of what is going on in bedrooms all over the world. Yes. Desire is so, so highly individualized. And we can talk about the neuroscience of why that is in men and women and, uh, later. But that's also why I focus on fundamentals in my sexual education work is because I know that's where I can have the greatest impact. And also because anything beyond that is a little trifling and a little too niche for the impact I want to have. And, and also because that's what people need in this country is fundamentals of sexual health. I, I teach in one of the top universities in the world, and I can tell you right now, and if my students are listening, forgive me, it's not you, it's society. It's a fucking beginner's course. Mm. We barely get to touch on anything that matters. But the kids bring the conversation! And I want to yeah. take a long tail whip back around to what you said, Shelly, when your answer to Marcus's question of the space in between was story. Because that is immediately what I thought. It's the lived reality because we now have all these devices and these videos and, mm. and then the truth of desire and interest, whether it's shopping or sex, is online because we have numbers. We have what? We have the facts now. Yeah. And so these kids are living a reality that is factual because it's actual because they have trans friends. And one of my great joys in the work that I do on the university level is this generation because they're not going to stand for the bullshit because they grew up in the truth because it was online. They could find yes. it. They knew they weren't alone. You couldn't shame them. Two Google searches and they would find their people. And then their people would hold them up and educate them and it's, uh, the ground is shifting, guys, and it should be faster than any of us realize. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So I mean, even us. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a sex worker? Um, well, let me do a little bit of clarification because it's late, okay? When you hear sex is sex worker, people immediately just get fucking, right? Like penis and vagina. But a sex worker is anyone from a cam girl or a stripper to an escort to a to a domination, all right? So somebody who performs online is going to be in their house, and it's all uh, video. Uh, a dancer, he's, he's in person, and maybe you can get a private dance. A dominatrix is going to do a lot of, of, of physical stimulation, but it might be the whole body. It might just be the genitals. And typically, the dominatrix is not going to have any direct sexual contact as far as the traditional definition goes, right? No, no job, no oral sex, no penetration, maybe toys or teas and denial, but it's not about what we would say husbands and wives do, right? That's not what a dominatrix That's what the escort does. She gives you the girlfriend experience. She gives you comfortable and warm and straightforward. It may or may not be intimate. And what I mean by intimacy is there's a difference in the level of how much emotional sharing goes on. Some of those so clients just need a blowjob. Some of them need a friend that they hire. Some of them need to be held. The work that I do, I consider much more intimate because there's still so much mystery and shame around this type of desire that often when people find 
the first time they have ever spoken these words or shared these things with anyone. Now, the flip side of that is the guy who's been doming or subbing for professional doms for 20 years and paid money just to show up and tell me about the great times he's had with everybody else in the past 15 years. <laughs> right. Relive it, you know, because there's nobody else. And back to stories, and I'll close my part right now with this. One of my favorite uh, things is the story is told for the teller, not the listener. Mm. That's conversation when this is all done of course but um and that's the that's the part that you you, fo- you folks who are listening to this podcast unfortunately you're not going to hear but um and that'll be fantastic but um i wanted to ultimately and i'm glad that we got here because I, it was like i'm and planning out this show in my head i'm like okay so there's a point that i want to get to and i hope that we get there but i don't know if we're going to get there but we got there and we got there in a better way than i ever imagined so my thinking here is i wanted to ask the question about the triangulation between technology and sex work in a practical sense from an entrepreneurial standpoint? Well, I can cover two of those bases. Uh, because, I, because I feel like, I feel like we, we, we've now tapped that, that nerve, so I wanted to just dive in on it. Shelly, why don't you take a wild guess? Because I'm sure you could figure it out. What do you think it is? Well, let me, um, let me make sure I'm understanding. So, what is is this a math problem? No, no, no. It's more just talking about like what, like what is the what is the tie that binds these two things? Because I feel like these two things are like intrinsically tied. Like I feel like people who work in sex should understand people who are entrepreneurs in tech, and people who are entrepreneurs in tech should definitely understand people who work in sex. Why? Because Cardi B just performed at AVN, and if you yeah, want to know, Kanye yeah. performed at Pornhub. 
that's why well that's part of it that was the that's that's the beginning of it for the mainstream like the mainstream is starting to see this now and they go oh and i've been sitting here for 20 years like guys it's been here the whole time i mean they've been doing it they just haven't been publicizing it you know, like her going and doing the, the video that she did her timeline, the little boomerang with her assimilating sex and all of that. Like, that's just, again, I think the test is just access now. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think it's just access. So, that's the thing for access and also mobility, right? The, like yeah. you were just saying, you're popping up everywhere. And when I was in uh, Indonesia, the, the digital nomad culture, which I am trying carry to the rural areas in America. Yeah, it's access. And that's why that's why infrastructure matters and a net neutrality matters because believe me, people that want to be overlords understand that it's about access because they, out of all of us, appreciate the power of the internet and the collective more than anyone else because that's their biggest threat right now. Fucking Aquarius coming for you. By Aquarius, I mean the internet and the age. You know what I'm saying? Right. They're playing ignorant. They know better, and they're going to go down fighting, and it's going to be ugly. But don't worry, the smoke is clear. (laughs) I mean, my birthday is on Monday, so I'm an Aquarius. Of course it is! This digital post. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, Aquarius is credited with being the energy of the internet. So, of course she is. I love it. I love my answer. Um, Marcus, well, how much we got now? We got five. Yeah, we got like five. What are we all working on that we're passionate about? That was my new trick I learned for networking this week is to ask people if they're working on any exciting projects rather than letting you do. So what are we all doing right now in the professional or public realm that we're excited about? That's what I want to go out. Well, Shelly, I mean, what do you have, what do you have going on? It's incredible. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. It's all I knew it. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. 
You go. Come back from Austin. Speaking of South Fry, which is what I learned is referred to by the locals. I may have stopped over at a sister hotel. We have a line hotel uh, in, the, in Austin. And um, our engineer, Jack, was down there a little uh, two weeks ago. Uh, our program is called Full Service Radio. We come to you guys from the lobby of the Line Hotel here in D.C. And the lobby of the Line Hotel in Austin is going to have a studio that's up and operational coming this spring. So I, I cruised through. I got a tour. It's gorgeous. It's right downtown. It's big. It's tall. It used to be a different franchise. They took it over. There's a pool. It's on the river. The river is technically called Lady Bird Lake. We'll save that conversation for later. But I found out they're also going to be doing an artist residency program. And they're still sort of nailing down the details, but basically there's going to be artists along with that separate from the podcast, and they're going to be given a space in which to create for a certain amount of time, and the public is going to be able to come in and interact with them, either, you know, doing finished pieces or talking with the artists about things that they're working on right now. So, wow. Um, And I just wanted to, to give a shout out to the line in Austin. Um, and then up here in D.C. in the next few weeks, uh, February 9th is a Saturday, and I'm going to be uh, taking the child. Um, I, I have adopted a, a, a trans uh, press punk in the past few months who has completed my life along with Marcus. Oh. And we're going to be doing a glamour photo shoot at the Graffiti Warehouse in Baltimore, I think is uh, what it's called. It's sort of a monthly event, pretty low cost, with a bunch of models and a bunch of photographers. Um, I'm not going to be photographing or modeling, but I'm going to be styling because my dream job is basically um, a fashion editor on photo shoots. Um, so if anybody is trans and looking for a little support, if you need a little hair, a little makeup, a little bit of wardrobe, get in touch with me at DaminaVontana at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to help you out if you can indeed show up in Baltimore on February 9th. And then we have Adobo uh, on February 15th. I got my dress picked out. I can't wait. That's yes. A, a Latin party that Marcus has been helping to promote. And I learned to salsa dance on the night floors in D.C. in the late 90s when I moved here. So D.C. and salsa will always go together in my heart. And that is my Valentine's Day date with myself and, like, the whole club. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just going to go out. It doesn't matter if you have a honey or not. Because that whole room is honey. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big chief. Yeah, it's a big chief. At Adobo DMV, um, uh, Capital Wrestling, the professional wrestling startup company that I started two years ago, just as of today, I'm going to get killed for saying this, but I don't care. I run the thing. Um, we, uh, we just cleared global digital distribution. Uh, we have distribution in all continents with, um, with the ability to stream internet access. So we're in Asia, we're in South America, we're in North America, we're in Europe, we're in Africa. And also, we're in uh, Australia, New Zealand. So it's. So when you said global at the beginning of this, this podcast, folks, it's a real thing. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, so um, definitely, uh, Shelly, thank you for being a guest. I've wanted to have you on since the concept came to us. Uh, I feel like you add a lot to this conversation on multiple levels. Um, you're at the progressive edge of where this is all headed on multiple levels with uh, society, technology, and uh, humanity. So I appreciate you for being on. Yeah, and Shelly, as a recovering creature of kid who will identify as agnostic the rest of their life because I don't pay them to, and somebody who loves and follows the stars, I want to tell you that birthdays are the only holy holiday in my life, 
Definitely. And you can uh, listen to MND FCK Mindfuck, a podcast, a broadcast on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on Anchor, pretty much anywhere where you can access uh, digital streaming online media. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, especially. Uh, we like those. They do very well for us. Uh, also, you can leave a digital contribution if you'd like on Anchor.fm. Thank you so much for listening. Absolutely. Have a good day. Have a better tomorrow. Good evening. Cool. I'll call everybody right back, all right?